Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is at least 100 times better than Goebbels. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, I mean, depending on your metric, that is a pretty low bar. In fact, for the uh, vast no, majority I mean, of metrics I care about, that is an incredibly low bar. You know, I, I had two options. I was I, it was either that or it was going to be who definitely puts Goebbels to shame. And and either way, the problem we run into is multiplying against zero <laughs> right. automatically yields zero, right. and which is problematic, right? Because I mean, a hundred so times gotta, better. We've got to have a metric where zero. where Goebbels is at least point zero zero one. And, Which is uh, problematic, right? Because he's that—that's a broken <laughs> metric, right? If you have a metric that has him at any point other than—I well, mean, I guess you could have a metric where he's a negative number, right? That works, right? But then you're going to multiply, and you'd be worse, not better. I don't know. Pat, before we get into the podcast, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for just $1 right. a month. You can uh, help support us, help keep us going. That $1 gets you access to a bonus episode that release once a month, always a non-criterion film. Uh, and you also get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. I put together a list of four films, uh, usually with a theme. And then the fifth option is always Kazam, the 1996 children's. Uh, movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie uh, that we have watched uh, once for the uh, podcast. They did actually vote on that once. We came close a couple other times. Yeah, I would argue that it's probably because you pick, make such good lists that uh, <laughs> people don't feel Some, like... Sometimes they're good lists. Because they sometimes the only they're not recourse. good um, As of this posting, the most recent list uh, is uh, in celebration of the... Uh, uh, the uh, Godzilla box set that Criterion is releasing as as number one thousand, uh, we, uh, with help from one of our longtime supporters, Jason Westhaver, uh, Jason uh, put together a list of uh, what he considers uh, an iconic representation of each era of Godzilla film, uh, from the Showa era to the modern day, uh, and we put together that list and voted for it and. Uh, we're going to end up watching Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah. Uh, Giant Monsters All Out Attack from 2001 is which won that vote. Uh, so we look forward to that. Um, as I said, Jason suggested the uh, suggested the poll, and we're going to try and get him uh, get him as a guest on the episode too, uh, which is something we've done before for bonus episodes over there with our friend uh, Stephen Goldmeyer, who's in, who suggested a poll that led to us watching. Uh, um, now you see me, uh, which is uh, one of his favorite movies and, and a pretty good movie. It's a ridiculous yeah, movie we, in a we lot of ways, but it. pretty yeah. fun. Uh, but yeah, we watch a lot of different movies over there. Always non-criterion films, as I said. Um, it's a pretty eclectic mix, you know. We've also watched things like Critters Two uh, and Aliens and Failsafe and Dog Day Afternoon and uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. You know, it's uh, <laughs> we're all over the map right. over there. I, no. I would argue that if you suggest to us a really rad list that we decide yeah. to use, I, I would suggest that it that it's well within the realm of possibility that like part of part and parcel of that could be us just inviting you to talk about your rad list. <laughs> right. Like you know what I mean? Like I, I it makes sense to me because if we're if we're if the list in part are gonna be created at least in part based on people's specific like suggestions. Interests, yeah. And suggestion, like, well, clearly they probably know more about this shit than we do. <laughs> like, let's be clear. Fair, here. fair, fair. Like, my knowledge of Godzilla is limited to literally Godzilla. Right. Like, I've seen exactly one Godzilla movie, and it was Godzilla. That's unfortunate, Pat. You are in for a treat. Uh, I I'm actually very excited. It it is it is a per, I consider it a personal failing, and I'm not yeah. being facetious here. I I I consider me having only ever seen one Godzilla movie a bit of a a personal sin. That I've just never been in a position to correct because there's eight million of them. There are a lot, and it's like, and it's, and it's one of those things where, like, if I start this path, I have to finish this path. <laughs> Which you know, I mean, I've done before, right? Like, 
I there's a reason why I'm halfway through. It's it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and I'm slowly getting through it because it's like, well, I started this fucking road, <laughs> and there's only twelve seasons. I'm well, gonna get through it. Um, eventually, you know, of course, for for spine number one thousand, when we get there, and we're at like what three seventy four this week. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll be dead. Let's be yes. clear; it'll be our children doing this. Yes. Spine one thousand, we will have to watch fifteen Godzilla films. So, God damn it, that's gonna be insane. But like, if we start, or I, I'm gonna argue that like this will be a special case where we won't be able to. Just oh, certainly, sit we down can't do it. We'll episode. need to watch them no. over the course of a right. couple months in right. lead up, like whenever we get a, a chance, and just be yeah. like, all right. Over the course of the last three months, we've watched all 15 of them, <laughs> yes. and we're going to talk about them, because it's going to be a weird retrospective in any way on all Godzilla. I suppose it'll have to be, uh, but yeah. Because are they all inside of one spine? They are, are they one all spine, spine 1,000? Yeah. They they're not getting parsed out over nope. like 1,001, 1,002, 1,003? Nope. Yeah, so like, we're going to have not, to do it that way. That is not actually the first instance where we, were, where we will uh, find... Uh, multiple films up to 45 hours of material i believe for the uh uh for the uh, olympics uh box set at right number 900. Oh, that is all one one single I mean, spine number so i mean if i'm playing to be dead by a thousand there's a decent chance i'll be dead by 900 that's so fair. like that's yeah i mean what it's taken us how many years to get to 300 and something seven seven yeah so god tw- that'd be like 20 almost 20 years of this indeed I mean, it's possible. I would hope I live another 20 years. It's, it's one of my personal goals. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck, luck to survive yeah, exactly. to 55, Pat. Adam, I'm not a healthy man. It's true. Never have it's been. True. Anyway, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. If you want to support us, like I said, just a dollar a month gets that bonus material. A uh, little extra $5 a month. We like to thank those people on air. And thank you to Adam Speakerman for your continued $5 support. And yeah, also for uh, making some really great suggestions for uh, for polls in your own right. Um, we haven't asked him to be on air, though. So that I didn't, Which is probably kind of feel it, bad it was a mistake that. on our part. Yeah. It probably is. Um, a little about that, we do something that I think is really special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. And I get it printed on a postcard. Write a little thank you note. Little musings on the film, something personal, uh, and send that off to our ten dollar and above supporters. Uh, we also like to thank those guys on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and Michael McGrath for your continued support at yes, that thank level. You. And and I, I mean honestly, you should definitely subscribe at that level because every so often, the literally the greatest thing I've ever done <laughs> in my entire life comes out of it. And uh, Pat, basically, you missed your really, opportunity on that. Pat has I mean, made some you really it. really great art for this stuff. Uh, I'm very excited about this month because I've got um, sort of a uh, I, I forget what that there's a specific phrase for this, but uh, I have too many good choices in this 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 month. There's because I, I well will a woman ascends the stairs be in this? No, it won't. It'll be next month. It should be November. I'm, it'll be November. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a decent chance, uh, but I'll probably I'll probably draw something about yes. Uh, October when we're not draw when we're recording this, October is. Um, just the uh, Robeson no, Robeson no. box set. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff there. That's right. going to be tough. I I don't feel like I can do a, a do a fate like Robeson's face justice in art, yeah, which is why not. I'm a little bit gun shy on that. Yeah. Um, I get the man that. is the man is much more handsome than I am good at drawing. So <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I don't really want to fuck that one up, honestly. Yeah. Well, this week we are talking about the 49th parallel. It's a 1941 British film uh, directed by uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Uh, this is the final film, I believe, where they are uh, credited separately. Uh, moving forward, they would be the Archers, and they would be everything credited, written, directed, uh, produced by uh, the two of them together, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Um, this is one of two films, despite the fact that Palin Pressburger, and we've seen some of these before, Palin Pressburger made eight films over the course of the war that were all pro-British propaganda. Only, uh-huh. only two films they made during that time, and both are on this DVD, were actually financed by the Ministry of Defense. Uh, it was, uh, it was after... 
after these two came out that the ministry decided that that was a waste of money. Um, well, I mean, if you've seen this movie, <laughs> I can feel, I can see where they're coming from, uh, honestly. Yeah, they had, uh, this is this is very different to British films of the era, and maybe British films even prior to this era in a lot of ways. Uh, but one of the main ways is that it is shot on location in Canada uh, for the, you know, almost all of it. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, assume yeah, that some tell. of the interior stuff is definitely, uh, definitely sets, uh, and possibly sets in Britain, but, uh. But most of most of the Canadian tourist board sort of things that this feels like, almost like it was <laughs> yeah. funded by the Canadian tourist board. But like, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, this movie fucking kills me because it's it. I'll, I'll tell you, I finally figured out what it is. What is it? It, is, it feels like a Canadian tourist board advertisement made to be mailed to Nazi Germany. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know how, like, tourism boards will often, like, kind of key their products to the specific country they're trying to recruit? Like, oh, you should, you know, you know, like, when I see one here, they're all, like, you know, I'll get advertisements in Japan that are like, you know, you should come and visit, like, Seattle. And, like, it's very geared toward the sort of things that Japanese tourists might like, right? But imagine if you're, like, if you're Canada and you're like, we really need more Nazis to come on holiday. What's the uh, what's the tagline on that? Come to Canada, you can kill upward of twenty five of us before you are yourself. Yeah, before arrested. anybody will catch us. Yeah, before you. Yeah, exactly. No, one hundred before you're punched out. Yeah. You're, before you're punched in the face by a deserter, um, <laughs> whose reason for deserting is he's just not killing enough Nazis. Right. Uh, it's holy crap, Adam. I I I want to very very specifically express that this might. be one of the worst movies we've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not being I don't even think I'm speaking necessarily in hyperbole. This is the Powell and Pressburger version of Kicking and Screaming. It is it is definitely not as good as other Powell and Pressburger films. Agreed. And that's for me a little bit of a low bar because I mean some of those are interesting, but that we I'm trying to they do get the archers do do stuff later on when they stop being war films that are yeah. that are interesting but like all that we've seen colonel blim which was also suffered from a lot of really fucked up notions about what is or is not good to do in the world yeah making arguments for all-out war and the murder of civilians is is one of those things <laughs> yes um uh but this one boy this one is on a different level number one Holy shit, does it meander. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm like, is this ever going to end? Like, why Why has nobody caught this Nazi yet? How is this Nazi able to blend so seamlessly into society? Oh, Despite walking around and being like, okay, let's be very Because they here. speak English with a British accent. That's why they can <laughs> fit into right, Canada right. so well. I, I, I need... I. I had a lot of trouble dealing with this movie because, like, even if you're like, well, we're a very multicultural society, so there are people walking around with German accents. There's very... That's fair. They literally Nazi salute and do Nazi shit in <laughs> public all the time. Like, it's in front of just, like, It's completely unconscious person. to them. Like... Yeah. It, like, he actively tries to recruit the dude on the train. Right. Who's, whose primary reason for not coming to, for dropping out of the army was I just haven't killed enough Nazis yet. Right. And he's like, oh, you should join. You should join join us. You know, we'll let you kill as many people as you want. And a lot of Nazis. Mm. Yes. I mean, it's a little different. But. <laughs> Indeed. Um, <laughs> yes. I swear. So. So what Pat alluded to in the introduction to this is that when Powell and Pressburger sat down to make this movie, and I am, I am just so bewildered that uh, six of their war films that are all clear pro-British propaganda films, six of them were from their own accord. Like they just that's yeah, the movie no, they, they were just like make. this is how we're going to contribute to the yeah. war. Yeah, I'm going to make pro, I'm going to make <laughs> propaganda. Yeah, for fun. Uh, but anyway, uh. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, uh, this movie is explicitly meant to be uh, 
a convincing film to get America to enter the war. Or or Americans to enter the war, at least. <laughs> like the idea that it, like it's based on the fact that the, the Canadians are so incompetent. Like, you guys yeah. better get in on this or we're going to yeah. fucking all die. Pal said, I hoped, it, I hoped it might scare the pants off Americans. Uh, and Pressburger, Pressburger's quote, which you alluded to, Goebbels considered himself an expert on propaganda, but I thought I'd show him a thing or two. And I don't <laughs> want to sound pro-Nazi. He did not do that. <laughs> it turns out Goebbels was better at it than him. Yeah, I don't want to be mean, but like... I, it makes me feel real gross inside to say it. He's not better than Goebbels. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, he's just not. Like, I mean, it just, I don't, I honestly don't know what they were trying to pull off here. Like, I, you say that they're trying to get America to join the war, what, by making them super bored and leave the theater halfway through? Yeah. Like, I don't know what part of this, as Americans, okay, let's let's put ourselves in the position well, this is American in 1941. 1941. Right? It's 1941. We haven't entered the war yet. We, we're we aware of the fact that Britain is getting just slammed. Like, right. we are, in theory, our closest ally is already just getting their asses kicked, right? But apparently that's not close enough to home in the minds of... Um, of these guys, so they're like, "Well, we'll 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 do it by like making them attack Canada." Pat, I have a really really interesting fact about this movie in in regards to it being about uh, convincing America to enter the war. Yes, please. Its U.S. premiere was not until March fifth, nineteen forty two. Oh my god! It did not premiere in the U.S. until after we'd entered the war. Oh my god! I don't even know what's going on. I can't deal with this, Adam. This is, I, I, but I mean very serious right now. Okay, when I say that this, for me personally, this movie borders on being as bad as Kicking and Screaming. In the sense that, like, I don't feel any loving film craft in this movie. None of this movie feels like lovingly made. Right. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't have any of those hallmarks of like, well. We're still trying to make something beautiful. It's very production line in, in, of course, in its visuals and we style. Have, we have the old argument that you brought up previously uh, and in the most Canadian film board or, or tourist board feeling of this movie. If you point your camera at something beautiful, you have a beautiful shot <laughs> inherently. Right. Uh, but they kind of failed at that. But they kind of fail at that in a lot of ways. Uh, they keep putting Nazis in them. Yeah. Here's this beautiful panorama with a fucking Nazi in it. Fair. Um, One thing this movie does that uh, is very good, I think, as a piece of propaganda aimed at Britain itself is the inclusion of so many different uh, people groups and ethnicities. Um, Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I can buy into that. To the extent that uh, the Inuit are shown as brave and, in fact, the only people who respond uh, appropriately to the Nazis. uh, Right. And and effectively. uh, uh, And the the Native Americans in that central scene are the ones who first notice – uh, the man who is clearly the Nazi infiltrator in the audience, while the white people right. around him uh, are completely oblivious, uh, despite right. the fact that they have the most accurate description of him that could I possibly know, it's, it's exist. Like, yeah, it's like, like I, it could not be. I don't They're know like, how. We don't that know what he looks happened. like, but he's wearing a blue bow tie and a brown jacket and carrying a rucksack. <laughs> his left leg is one inch shorter than his right leg. Yes. He, like it's just it's ridiculous. It, it like that description. Like there's literally only one person who meets that description right. in the entire audience. Right. And it's all uh, it's the it's the First Nations people who who notice him and glare at him until everyone else responds. Um. So it does. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, that that is balanced out somewhat slightly the, by the super racist portrayal of those people. <laughs> In both in both dialect and 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 be, and other other elements. The uh, um, okay. Woof. 
the natives, uh, the indigenous people are uh, portrayed in the midst of what is on screen said to be a tourist thing. And we do use that to segue into a scene where a white British, uh, probably aristocracy guy, uh, has been researching and is the expert on First Nations culture. Right. It, it's that it it is, and and it starts early in that. Okay, yeah. because when we're dealing with the 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 Inuit Leon's Leon's character yeah. Nick the Eskimo, who is the uh, the guy making breakfast when uh, uh, when uh, they we first arrive at the uh, outpost on Hudson Bay. Uh, yeah, he's. I don't know where Leon is from. I uh, see if I can figure this out real quick. Uh, but he would go on to play one of the uh, Tibetan people in Black Narcissus. Okay. Uh, okay. So he is a pretty a pretty uh, wide swath there. Pretty wide swath okay. for the Powell and Pressburger crew. Um. Well, I mean, and and that's the weird thing is we're we're at a weird point in history with these kind of movies where he like, is, oh one of our really, one of our he was born in Canton, China. So okay, yeah. I mean, we're you're we're at a weird point in um in sort of history with these kind of films where you're like one of our one of our strengths is our diversity. Check out this, and then says a racial slur. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. we've got all these insert racial slur here all over the place. That's We're fair. real diverse. Um, it's like it's that weird sort of crosswords where you haven't gotten to the point where you actually care about the people you're talking about yeah. and what they what they feel. We're also dealing. But you acknowledge that they are a part of your society and somehow important to that society. We're also dealing with uh, with an era where we have to acknowledge that. Johnny the Trapper, French Canadian, is also an oppressed minority, which the the Nazis try right. to uh, try to uh, persuade. On that note, uh, but also he's played by Laurence Olivier with the most reli- ridiculously over the top accent. <laughs> yep, you could yep, possibly it's wonderful. <laughs> with, and, and with like it's like uh, I, I know the timing doesn't work out here by decades, but it's like Laurence Olivier saw Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau and thought, "Hold yeah. my yes, hold absolutely. my baguette." Uh, yeah, yeah, I got this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it is. You are right. You are one hundred percent right. Like, I don't know where he got that. What what dark hole in the world he right. dug up that accent from? That's not supposed to be comedic, but woof. Like, I, I also love. I do like love that. that scene for some subtle things in it, uh, such as uh, Johnny trying to gay panic one of the one of the Nazis. Like he keeps winking at him. Yeah, uh, that, I mean there are there are some there are there like this movie. So like part of the problem with this movie is it will every so ha- often have something interesting or fun right. to see mixed in with just relentless trash. <laughs> like I mean, like the whole the whole like one of them trying to join join the Hutterites is like really interesting. Yeah, the like, entire Hutterite act is actually. I, I thought it's really I was not it is inaccurate it to Hutterites, all. but it is interesting. Yeah. And and uh, as as Hutterites, uh, I was also interested that the the movie mentions, though though fairly casually passes over, the idea that the Hutterites themselves are suspect for being of German descent. And we have we have a yeah. couple of men who are mentioned. They talk about the the woman who has to harvest her own field because the men in her family are interred because they were of German descent. Uh, and again, you know, this is the, the most, uh, this is one of the instances where the Nazis are sort of given, uh, given a grand speech and the, uh, the Hutterite leader responds completely shutting it down. Um, and another really great that- subtle thing in that scene is when the Nazi finishes his grand speech with Herr Hitler uh, and, the other Nazis jump to salute. Uh, Vogel, the guy who ends up trying to join the Hutterites, uh, jumps up but does not salute. Uh, There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I mean, my problem with it is that is one of the better parts of this film. Yes. Okay? Uh, I feel like the film should have ended there. 
possibly. I feel like that should have been like the conclusion of the film in a lot of ways. Um, that was already an hour and a half in, basically, or something along those lines. That, it, By the time yeah. they left there, it's it, like it forty-five been a minute nice, long. Sequence, it would have been yeah. a nice bow on the film. Yeah. If like Vogel turned them in or something like that, uh, like, after having realized right. that this is a better way of life, right? Um, there are some issues. Um, the speech by the leader is pretty inaccurate to Hutterite beliefs in a lot of ways. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, and, it is and also it is also a very uh, Canada. It is a an overtly positive uh, portrayal of Hutterite beliefs, as uh, you know they they get the socialism aspects of it correct. Uh, but uh, right, yeah, they get that. But yeah. Hutteritism is also very uh, uh, paternalistic. Uh, I don't mean paternalistic. Male hierarchy is uh, right. You know. Um, I mean, yeah, patriarchal it's, it's, is the word I was patriarchy. Yeah, and um, and but there's other issues. Like, yeah. I mean, like for example, that leader's speech at the end. There, he talks about like, oh, well, we all came here from Germany and we were accepted. And like, well, a that doesn't play with Hutterite actual experiences in anywhere. Yeah. Um. Ever. Um. Keep in mind, they were only allowed to buy property in. They weren't at the time of this movie allowed to buy property for their social, like for their socialized farms. Yes, legally in Canada. Yeah, at that time, there's Which a reason they live whatever in the settlement of they had because it's the well, and they weren't even allowed to buy that land. Right. They, like they they bought it, and then when the government figured out what they were doing, they're like, "Well, we got to shut this shit down." Yeah. It made it illegal for people to group buy things. Yeah. Um. It, it, and and the, and. And like that speech, like that speech is bothersome because it's very clearly, it is very clearly a British perspective on the Canadian idea of what the Hutterites would say about Canada. Right. Like it's like it's from a Hutterite, like from that perspective, it's that that speech is madness, yeah. right? Like it's just like it doesn't track with any of what they believe. It 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 veers vaguely towards violence, which is not a thing that that speech should do or would do. Right. It's it's got a lot of problems, and again, a, a group that literally thinks associating with the outside world is their uh, detrimental to their community. Giving a speech about how inclusive Canada has been for them is, now, while also again le- not legally being able to buy property. Now I do want to balance. Wild. That. I do want to balance that though, uh, because the Hutterites are also uh, today a very accepting group of oppressed peoples outside and in fact uh right and that's uh, and that's a refugee that's a resettlement in yeah. canada has led to a lot of hutterite embracement of uh islamic refugees for instance right and and, and that's a part of a a, a my, my understanding is that is a part of a of a change over time about like because keep in mind 1941 they've literally just been resettled in canada right. like 10 years before after being basically run out on a rail out of Montana and like other places in yeah, the, a lot of other in places. American North. like this was a really bad time. It's still a pretty bad time for Hutterites, from my understanding. And like, it, and and I understand they yes, they also believe in a lot of very very key Christian beliefs, like being kind to outsiders and things right. like that. What I mean is like a speech about how working together with the Canadian government. Right, like the Canadian. That is that is not society. That doesn't. That is not a Hutterite thing. Uh, right, like is, being is, like, yeah, we we welcome anybody who shows up at our door and we'll take care of them. That tracks. This we, is a a group that very much embraces the traditional Anabaptist view that they come from of uh, non uh, non interference, non compliance, non interaction with governing authorities. It right. is a a checked out. Uh, a a distrust of any power hierarchy uh, to the point where uh, you know even even at this time, uh, even through this time, uh, Mennonites in the U.S. were being uh, sent to Leavenworth for refusing to go to war. So we're, and and Hutterites also and Hutterites, suffered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing. Yeah, yeah. These are because they're 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 cut from a very a very right, similar right. like religious belief cloth. Indeed. There. Um, Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't. Again, that's like the best scenes of the movie. Let's, right. let's be very clear yeah. here. But that la- final speech n- grabbed me the wrong way. In a, in like it suddenly turned very pro Canada in a way that I feel was disingenuous. It turned into a tourism board sort of speech rather. And than I think like, that's fair. And I think, I think that you know the entire point of that uh, 
tourist uh, Native American get-together is meant to be that writ large. You know, it's Canada has not treated First Nations people well uh, throughout throughout their history uh, and continues to not treat them well. Um, right. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and that's all. But that, to present again, it as, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's a Cowboys and Indians, American Western television sort of portrayal of, of Native Americans there as uh, the noble savage, really. Uh, yeah, that's what they're going for, basically. Yeah, they're so different, but, you know. Uh, and and that's what we get with the with even, the sort of even the while we're actively stealing yeah. their children, uh, right, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and and I think probably partially because of the context, the sort of lens through which you and I view these films, yeah, makes this film more upsetting than maybe right. it, it might have been. <laughs> that's fair. Has been and will be for other people, yeah. but like that doesn't change the way I experience this film, which is just like, like. And then, and then every so often you get the the borderline feeling like, should I be rooting for the Nazi right now? <laughs> like, because I've seen The Fugitive, and he's not the bad guy in that movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. got a lot of like, it's got a weird feeling to it, right? Because it's like, oh, right. I'm supposed to be rooting the fact for that our Nazis underdog. are protagonists and that we follow them, and it's the story of their attempted escape. Uh, inherently makes me want to say, oh, they need to escape. Um, right. Well, exactly, because that's also, how movies work. But right? also, like the protagonist is opposed to the people. person you follow. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. It's very. Including, this movie is a very uncomfortable watch. Yeah. And the movie explicitly makes it clear that they indiscriminately kill dozens of people. They kill a woman who has a baby on her back. They kill. Yeah. Uh, and we get a scene of the baby crying while while his mother lays dead. Well, and then we and then I like and that's that's even more upsetting when you consider the sort of the long history of. The way that um, Canada and America has dealt with the First Nations people, it's like, yeah, that's just generally what seems to happen. And like, Um, is is the point of is this movie some sort of dark twist of uh, of that uh, that early Renoir film that we watched, the first film in the collection? In fact, Uh, the Grand Illusion. This we're not so different. We're all humans. We all want to kill the Eskimos. Is that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's what it kind of feels like, right? Yeah, like it's really like it's. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's very upsetting. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah. know, man. I just don't know. <laughs> and then um, what do we get? We get the uh, the intellectual British guy uh, punches out a Nazi, and we end on the threat of the uh, Canadian deserter punching out the Nazi. So it's also, if it's propaganda aimed at Americans, it's you're wrong about us being pansies but also canada and the uk are already in the war so like that yeah, that know. would be based on an assumption that americans think that that world war Two, even into 1941 is no big deal and that's why we're not going to be a part of it that's not that's yeah not no it, i think of... it, it it does suffer from a problem where like i don't think pal and pressburger actually understand why america is not in the war at this point <laughs> right, right i don't think they actually get it they're like i mean Maybe they just think like we got it, and we need to show them that we don't got it. I don't know. It's man, this movie. I swear, <laughs> I. And every time they get into a new area, you're like, "Well, finally, this will end." You're like, then you look at the thing. You hit the. I hit the pause button, and it pops up the little like the time left thing. It's like, well, fuck, I've got forty five minutes. How will this Nazi escape this one? Yes. Uh, like, it's just, I don't know, man. It's the like, nature of starting with six and having them removed one by one, right? Uh, yeah. It's just, it it has to, by that nature, be slow, I guess. Yeah. It's very, well, yeah, I mean, the, you, you didn't have to, they didn't have to remove one by one, right? right? Like, I mean, it right. didn't have to go that way. Um, There's a lot of choice. There were a lot of choices made in this movie. Yeah. And they were mostly wrong. Um. Yeah. They were mostly poor choices. So, an interesting thing I learned from uh, from one of the Criterion essays on this um, that ending 
uh, and and the uh, the sequence with the, the with the British um, intellectual. There was at least one person on set, uh, Rodney Ackland, who has a writing credit for the film, uh, who protested those sequences, uh, considering them that uh, considering them to be uh, suggesting we fight fascism with its own spirit of violence. Uh, he's, not, he's not wrong. Which he's not wrong about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there are there were people talking against that, right? Uh, even at the time. Uh, and then and then Alan Pressburger go on to make Colonel Blimp, which is, <laughs> is essentially telling Rod- Rodney Ackland to shut up. <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself, Rodney. Yeah. The only way to win this is all-out war where we murder as many civilians as possible. Yeah. But at least we're not Nazis while we do it. Yeah, I mean that's a, that. Like it's it's telling that that's my Colonel Blimp takeaway. Right. I don't remember hardly <laughs> right. anything of that movie other than the fact that basically its argument is we just need to com- kill as many German civilians as we possibly can uh, uh, to win this shit. Basically. Like I don't. <laughs> that's that what is I not got out of it. The argument, but uh, no. But I mean, I feel like I mean my memory of it's real vague at this yeah. point. But I remember walking away with a real bad taste in my mouth, and it was mostly to do with. Yeah. All at war. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, this movie has a, a lot of big name stars for the time. Um, all doing weird accents. All doing weird accents. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anton Walbrick, who plays Peter, the head of the, uh, the Hutterite community, uh, is himself. Uh, he's He's the German. In Colonel Blimp. Um, okay. Yeah, I thought I remembered yeah. that face. That that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lawrence Olivier's in this. You know, Leslie Howard's in this. Raymond Massey's in this. <laughs> like, uh, and even you know, even even some of the Nazi Neil McGinnis is is a fairly well known actor, even at the time. Um, but uh, it's a kind of crazy. They don't make the. They have you know British people play the Germans, right? And they yes. don't do an accent. Even even the Laurent Olivier does an insane French Canadian accent. Uh, yeah, none of the Germans the, do none an of the, accent. Yeah, they're, they, just, they, they're going for classic Roman Empire yeah. version of. It's like, well, I mean, if they were now, they'd speak with a British accent. It's right. like, well, wait a minute, this is now. What is going on here? No, I can't. You know, obviously, film has a long history of the German bad guy speaking with a posh British accent. Uh, yeah, that's true. I feel like in a German uh, propaganda film, the or a, yeah. sorry, yeah. Yeah, in see, an anti-Nazi I, I propaganda film, you should probably uh, probably not do that. Yeah, uh, that that was a weird choice. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know why they did that actually. Mm. Um, so. One two points I forgot uh, that I wanted to go back to loop back to the Hutterites essentially. Okay, because uh, like I can't. I, that's part of the thing that just. Um, well, one of them I've already forgotten. That I was going <laughs> to say one of them. One of them. The fact is that like, let's be clear here, they are not speaking German. Right. Hutterites do not. I mean, much like many of the other communities that come from this background, various types of religious communities, they do not speak. Tradi- like they do not speak. Mutually intelligible German, generally speaking, they speak this group. Hutterish. This group may be it's because possible. they are they are closer. They are closer to coming over. I think, but that's also basically impossible. Um, there there were like from what from everything I like, I spent a lot of fucking time reading. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, whoa, I need to dig into this because some of this just doesn't make any sense to me based on my, my very minimal understanding. From what I understand, they like, left Bohemia there in shouldn't have been any so. recent yeah. there shouldn't have been any recent Hutterite immigrations into the United States or Canada in nineteen forty one. I mean there should be a recent immigration into Canada, but from the United States. Yeah. They should be speaking And even that was, was a version early. of German that yeah, that was that that already had diverged in 1860s yeah. while they were still in Europe yeah. would have already diverged from standard German. Like, it, it would have been, like, let's be clear here, Hutterish and other German-speaking um, 
Anabaptist groups don't even speak mutually intelligible dialects of German with each other. Right. Like, they can't. Like, Hunterish and, and for example, uh, Pennsylvania, like, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch and other, and other, like, Amish communities that speak German still don't even have a version of German that is intelligible between them. Uh, like, that, that was a thing that, like, really, I was like, it's a little thing, but, like, there's no way these Germans thought these were Germans. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like it's all a little bit fucked up already because, like, well, they spot they would, be, they they spot would recognize the German newspaper being, from three hundred yards. <laughs> right. Well, and like, which is already kind of weird, but like, um, yeah, right. Like, I have a, I have an eagle's eye for German newspapers, but also like, it wouldn't, it, it would have been immediately apparent that this is not like they thought it was like some sort of weird. German spy enclave. Yeah. And it's it, it's like no, it would have been really obvious immediately <laughs> that these people are not like European Germans. Yeah. Like and that and that already makes the, the that part of the story a little goofy. Well, it's of like, course, because the Hutterites it, it, the Hutterites don't think they're the Germans are Hutterites, of course, but no, but the the, the Germans think the Hutterites are German. Right. Which they would be obvious immediately if they're just like if you walked into a room and somebody was speaking like some fucking wildly different dialect of English, you wouldn't be like ah fellow Americans, yeah. You know what I mean? You'd be like, wait, what's going on here? Like, like you would yeah. recognize it's derived from the same language, but you wouldn't be like ah yes, you are an American. I see. Yeah. So you'd be like, oh, this person speaks a version of English that's very difficult for me to understand. Also, sort of, um, sort of interesting in the uh, the inconsistent. Uh, research that uh that the german captain is supposed to have done because he's he appeals to the french canadian on a you're an oppressed minority uh wanting to overthrow the english and so are we uh whereas he appeals to the hutterites based solely on their shared german ancestry right no 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 regard like having never heard of them somehow yeah Yeah. like it's really (laughs) weird it's like i don't know it's all very it but it's it is strange. But it's also an interesting an interesting humanization of the Hutterites at a time where they might need it, right? Yeah. Where yeah. where, where well, this they is... come off best of minority groups in this film. Yeah. Like they get off they, they they do the best in this movie in terms of not being weirdly dehumanized. Right. Um it, it, you know and I had some I had some other thing that I thought of that was I've thought of multiple times and it keeps slipping away, so I don't know what it was. <laughs> Like, well, if it's you something uh, about the way this nonsense all works, if out, you think of it again, just out. yell it out immediately, and we'll uh, like, just don't even preface it yeah. with anything. Just be like, ah, just shout it. Uh, but yeah, just you know, this is almost this is almost a teaching film to American and Canadian audiences on who the Hutterites right. are, and that uh, <laughs> yeah, and that hey, we've been locking them away because uh, they sound vaguely German. Um, <laughs> oh, and also they won't fight in our wars. That's and they won't fight in the war. A big part of it. That's a big part of it. The refusal to fight is what is what proves them to be non-patriotic citizens, right? And outsiders and others. Uh, yeah, and that is that is frequent frequent in Anabaptist communities, Hutterites, Mennonites, Amish, uh, in the Americas, uh, in, in Europe in when they Canada, were there, in Europe when they were there. Uh, you know, which is why most of them ended up. Uh, they left Germany. They go to the Hutterites. Go through Transylvania. A uh, lot end up in rural Russia, and then the Russian Revolution happens, and they and then they won't fight in the Russian army either. Yeah. So then they, they need to come to the United yeah. States. Then they they don't even get run out for not. They don't even get run out of America generally for not being willing to fight in wars because part of the benefit of America was like you could just be so far out in the middle of nowhere right. that nobody right. even knew you were there. Yeah. They got ran out because they weren't normal, basically. Right. right. And uh, and they didn't just end up in the United States straight away. Uh, plenty went straight to Canada, but also uh, there's uh, there's Mennonite communities in uh, Belize, in Mexico, yeah, um, throughout yeah. South America too. Um, basically, they you know ultimately after leaving Bohemia, most of these groups headed to places where they thought no one would bother them. And then someone yeah, showed up would to just bother leave them. them the fuck alone. Yeah, yeah, basically. And then that's been the story of their their lives, yes. the best you know, the history, right? But 
And and in Canada now at this at the current state of the world, they finally probably achieved that in Canada. Yeah. In that like there's a lot of special dispensations on the books for like Yeah. In much the same way the Amish exist in the US. Exactly. It's yeah. like, well, we they finally, you know, we finally the world has finally reached a point at least in some places where you can just have those kind of minority groups around and you don't bother to like yeah. make a big deal out of it anymore. Um We'll see if it lasts, but, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, there's no guarantee. Because, I mean, they had that in, um, they, they were they were in Ukraine for that very reason, too. Like, uh, was because, basically, the, the person, the, I forget what his name was, but the person who invited them there was like, yeah, you guys can live here. It's cool. Um, no, no biggie. And huh. then, like, that person died and that ended, you know, that sort of stuff. Pat, since you did so much research, I am sure that you know this thing that I have just learned uh, about the existence of Dariuslut, the Hutterites yes. uh, who live in Japan. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of interesting stuff like that. Uh, yeah, founded in yeah. 1972. I mean, I did not know that that existed until yeah. I did a bunch of research. But yeah, it was yeah. Oa Hutterite colony. Uh, yeah, because a lot of there's there was another direction you could flee out of Russia, right? Right, right, Is, right. You know. <laughs> yeah, and perhaps even an easier direction to flee out of Russia. But also, this wasn't founded until 1972, so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I it's just it's weird, like not weird in the bad way, just weird in the like yeah. history is hard to follow because there's a lot of weird gaps too, and like understanding why groups do what they do, but. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of fascinating stuff. Well, the interesting thing on the history of uh, the Owa Hutterite colony is it seems to be a group that had wanted to do communal living first and foremost, uh, and then became Hutterites through discovering that that was the framework of a commu- community they wanted to create. Right, right. Uh, not because they had an aff- affection for the. Uh, for the religious aspects of it, but right. came at it from the communal living aspect, which is, uh, which is interesting. Um, apparently there are only nine members left living, uh, and they are all old as of 2010. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the Hutterite sequence in this, I was absolutely not expecting. Uh, it was, uh, despite, misrepresenting in a lot of ways. I think it was still fair to the Hutterites. It wasn't misrepresenting in a way to make them look uh, more scary. Uh, no, yeah, that's true, yeah. At a time where, where they could easily be written off as the other. This is They are among the groups within this. The The Germans are the only, only ones trying to be othered. Uh, within The Nazis are the only ones trying to be othered within the narrative of this film. Everyone else is supposed right. to be welcomed into the community. It's supposed to be Canadian, yeah. 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 Uh interestingly in that regard, uh there is a part of this that was edited out for the American release. Can you guess what it was? Well, I saw I saw your your yes. your post online, but yeah, the idea like I cuz we watched the version with it in it. Yes. I was trying to keep an eye out for exactly where it was, but yeah, the yeah. the the um the argument against the idea that, like, I, I forget exactly where it was. So that it's, it was one of the speeches. It's right? at the Hudson Bay uh, camp, and uh, and the uh, the Nazi commander uh, is talking about uh, the Eskimos being so bad, uh, and uh, and one of either Johnny or or the uh, the English Canadian guy uh, says, "Or what's wrong with the Eskimos?" And uh, and the Nazi says, uh, well, they're only one step above the Negro. And, and one of them says, what's wrong with the Negroes? Uh, but yeah, they're described as uh, sub-apes like Negroes, only one step above the Jews, uh, which is obviously meant to be, this is an evil character saying this thing, and it's pushed back against in narrative. Uh, right. So that entire sequence is cut out of the American release to keep from offending segregationists in America. Right. Now, Wikipedia says to offend, to avoid offending segregations in the American South. Uh, but no, it's it's all of America, not just the American South, especially at the time. Uh, right, yeah. But yeah. Um, I mean, 
all that makes sense from the you know in the sense that like yeah i mean yeah of course right it's terrible it's like a obviously terrible thing right but like we've seen that before too right where like you can't even in a movie at this time make the blanket claim that like hating people for the color of their skin is bad Oh, you might have you might upset some monsters that are still Turns roaming out. the countryside of America. Uh, um, I love that the ending of this movie that is supposed to entice Americans to get into the war is uh, is actually uh, America uh, <coughs> ignoring human <coughs> ignoring people uh, <coughs> in order to uh, bureaucratically uh, say, oh, there's unlisted freight on this. Uh, one, one defining the people on board. Right. As yeah. Freight, well, the best argument we can come up with rights, is to yeah, uh, because yeah. the the Nazi commander is correct. He has a right on American soil to request to be taken to his nearest embassy. Uh, and the uh, the Americans are like, nope, you're not people. Go back to Canada. Uh, yeah, and and actually, like, I don't know about you, but I found that. I I know that that's supposed to be a positive scene in this movie. <laughs> it's not. I found that really deeply upsetting. It's yeah. like your argument here is well. I mean, I mean that that's the same. I don't love slippery slope arguments, but that's how you end up in. Well, I mean, I guess we got a total war. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was I was I kind of distracted in that scene uh, because the train is going the wrong way. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the water, <laughs> the water is flowing toward the camera, which means that uh, it is facing west, and the train passes from south to north when it's supposed to be traveling to the U.S. and then backs right. up from north to south when it is traveling the other way back to Canada. Uh, yeah, that was that was a dumb thing, but yeah, sure, I understand. And it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult. Like, no, it shouldn't. But like, it's just. I mean, at least at least means, we didn't. It means end up they were the shooting classic. from the American side of the river, right? Yeah. And like, all of their permits should be for the Canadian side anyway. So what's going on? Like, why are you in Buffalo at all? Um, yeah, I don't. But it's yeah. very. It. I mean, but like, even there, like, yeah, it's just they just have this very strange concluding message that I don't. I don't. I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> Like yeah, so you think they deny him his rights, and then like yeah, Shibamak like so now he'll be interred in in Canada. Like he'll go into a Canadian internment camp. I don't know unless unless the proposal is here is that like as soon as he gets off the train, they're just gonna like light him up. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't know. But also, it's not like he has diplomatic immunity. Like, like, no, he's still, yeah, no, it, 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 being able to go to his console does not, <laughs> does not mean that he's not going to like still end up in an internment camp. I don't right. understand. Right. Like, like rando citizen on soil doesn't get like all the benefits. <laughs> like, you know, like, well, I committed a bunch of crimes, but like, yeah. I'm invincible. Yeah. Now, now, certainly all of these were acts of war as far as he's concerned, but he killed a bunch of random citizens. Like, <laughs> uh, right. In Canada, on Canadian soil, a country, America, definitely has an extradition treaty, too. So well, Exactly. Like, I don't <laughs> understand where they thought this was going to go. Like, yeah. I don't – it's very – it's very strange. Because, like, keep in mind, their original plan was to get on a boat bound for Japan. Like, that right. was the original plan. Right. That plan made sense in – narratively, in fiction, right? Like, it's like, okay, yeah, so you're going to go to a, a, what's notably an ally of yours. Right, right. You'll be able to get to them, and then they'll be able to get you home. That all checks out. But then it takes that turn because you can't do that to, like, I got to get on the American soil and get to, like, a their, the consulate in America. And it's like, I don't, like, do you, like, I don't know what you think is going to happen here. I don't, it's very strange. Like, oh, well. It's very, it takes a very strange, it feels like the story drags on partially because of that because they're just like, they could have ended it earlier than that. They yeah. didn't have to go through that whole that whole mess, right? Like, it could have ended at the. It could have ended so many different places. Yeah, it just could have. 
This movie could have ended six different times over the course of the film. I suppose this movie did... It was probably fully produced before Lendelise. There's a chance, at least. But it came out in the fall, I think, in Britain, originally, in 41. So, maybe not. Lendelise started March 41. You know, when we I mean, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, yeah, yeah. but... Oh, I'm looking at it right now, actually. Okay. At least started March 4th. The way you said it sort of had this weird Sorry. sort of like upward, like, lilt to it. It's oh, like, no, oh, he's I, asking I, me a I'm, question. I'm thinking about the implications of that, not not whether or not I'm correct on that date. I'm reading okay. that date, so I know I'm correct on that date. Um, so I guess there's still a chance that, that British, in general, view America as actually... Uh, uh, Staying out of this one instead of right, secretly and I supporting get them. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and that's that's not an unreasonable belief for British people to have at that time. Yeah, um, because it's certainly not a a a stated like it's not a it's not an right. outwardly apparent support. But like my issue is more that like no matter what, like. Staying out of it, being a neutral party is still not the same thing as, well, yeah, we're going to just ship this murderer home. Right, right. Like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. That's not, and that's I, just was never a thing that was going to happen. Now, the, the argument that the, the soldier makes, I, I suppose, is accurate. Just him getting to the U.S. is a victory for Germany. Um, right. But then, he, let's be clear here. Germany already won this one. <laughs> Dude wandered around Canada for like a month, right? Right. Uh, borderline unmolested. Yeah. Like, had he did, had he not operated with the specific aim of actually getting out of Canada, presumably he could have stayed in Canada for the whole war. <laughs> Become dude was basically invincible. Like at this point, he was already a mass serial killer. He could have just kept yeah. going. Yeah, uh. I mean, I, in a lot of ways, it doesn't like. The the Nazis make it very clear that like they've already won this propaganda victory in their own broadcast, right? Like, I mean, he's been on the loose in Canada for three weeks. It's like that's a win. You already won. Like, you know, you I, know what I mean, right? Like it, that the battle's already over. Like, dude should have been caught day two, and he took him three weeks to find him, right? I just turns I, out Nazis are super resourceful. I just realized that maybe narratively, it is very good that the Germans don't know what Hutterites are. And just assume they're they're Germans who live weirdly, uh, because they murder Vogel for wanting to desert and then disappear uh, instead of just killing all the Hutterites who would not have resisted. Right, exactly. Uh, it, it is. It. I mean, by narratively, you mean to present that prevent this becoming an actual <laughs> massacre on yes, film. Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, yeah, luckily they do not know about that part of the <laughs> yeah. Hutterite belief system. Yeah. Thank God. Um, it, it is, yeah, they don't... But then again, their weird sort of, like, interpretation of Hutterites as being fellow Germans would mean that, like, that would be that would be even weirder in and of itself. That That's a very dark timeline version yeah. of this that I don't... I'm glad doesn't exist. Um, but, yeah, I... But then again, like, it's just, I don't know. Did you, uh, so Anna, the Hutterite girl, is uh, originally played by uh, by someone else. Uh, and they're filming on location in the Hutterite community. And Elizabeth Bergner, and Bergner who was cast as Anna, uh, was seen painting her nails and smoking by a Hutterite woman who became so oh. angry at that. Right, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, that they ended up... Uh, Oh, she pulled the cigarette cigarette out of Bergner's mouth and slapped her in the face. I don't know if she was assuming that this was an actual Hutterite woman uh, exhibiting moral failure, um, because Bergner was presumably uh, on set in costume, uh, right? Or, or if she would have just done that to any woman. But I don't know. That's a good question because, like, but, it, it's really hard to know, right? We'll, ne- yeah. we'll never know. Yeah, Bergner, uh, Bergner herself deserted the film, just left, uh, refused to uh, do the studio scenes in Germany. Uh, 
but uh, but she was also an ex-German national. Uh, and there is some speculation that she dropped out of the film because she feared reprisal if the Nazis were to invade Britain and find her. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I get that, although I'm not sure that, like, anybody's going to do super great if the Nazis invade uh, yeah. England, um, and, you know. Also, interestingly, the uh, the scene in which uh, the uh, the Nazi general, the captain, commandant, I get the words right, uh, gives his Nazi speech at the Hutterite community, and, uh, and the leader, Peter, stands up and refutes him. Uh over half of the people in that scene uh, were uh, refugees from Germany, uh, fleeing Hitler oh, in Britain. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so it's you know there's there's some very interesting things going on with this movie behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. Um, I do want to talk. I know you didn't watch it, uh, but paired with this on the DVD is a movie called The Volunteer. Uh, We'll talk briefly on it because we're already we're we're a pretty long episode already. But uh, uh, Powell described the volunteer as a pain in the ass from start to finish. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, and a distraction from uh, from projects he he'd rather be working on. Uh, but basically, uh, Ralph Richardson, who is a, a British actor, uh, who is introduced in the film. Uh, in a photo of him portraying Othello. Uh, so the volunteer chose to introduce its main character in blackface. Uh, oh thanks. Thanks guys. Um, but it's got cameo appearances by, uh, Anna Neagle, Lawrence Olivier, Anthony Asquiz. Um, uh, Michael Powell even has his own cameo in it. Uh, but, uh, it, uh, it's basically a story of Ralph Richardson, who is a well-known British stage actor, um, he, uh, his costume guy, uh, his, his, uh, associate, his, his butler essentially for, for production, um, is a dim-witted, uh, useless man who decides he wants to join a service and he joins the fleet air arm, uh, that is the Navy's. Uh, Air Force, right. for which uh, Richardson was a pilot, um, and this guy joins the fleet air arm, and they teach him life skills, and he he ends up as an engineer and is good at it, and gets a gets a reward from the from the king for it. Um, so it's okay, uh, yeah. So it's just uh, it's a join up. It's forty five minutes. It's yeah, recruitment propaganda for the fleet air arm, and it's uh, it's pretty silly for the majority of it. Uh, and there's long sequences in it that I don't understand why are in it. <laughs> okay, but, uh, good, but good, uh, but yeah, it uh, it's maybe worth a watch. Uh, but like I said, Powell even describes it, it as a pain in the ass to make. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Fred, our main character there, the the guy who joins up, uh, he's young, he's dumb, uh, and then war makes him a real man, uh, even though he doesn't actually right. fight, actively fight, but war gives him, it's, it's a very, it's, it's always good to see those sorts of arguments about previous generations when they are applied to my own generation so often that, that, right. We don't know how to do anything because we've never been in a war, even though the United States has been at war in a, since I was born. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and we we've we've lived our entire <laughs> adult life in a perpetual war that may or may never end. Right, right, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So the volunteers interesting. It's um, it's weird at forty five minutes, forty six minutes, in fact, because it's it's not really a short. But it's it's like a half length production. Yeah, I wonder what um, it was meant to be paired up with because presumably, usually they yeah. do stuff like that in to, specifically to pair up with something else. And I yeah. don't know what that would have been. I don't know. I don't know offhand. 
Um, and I didn't see that information anywhere. But, but yeah. This week we've been talking about Powell and Pressburger's 49th Parallel, a movie designed to entice Americans into the war that came out after Pearl Harbor. Um, so... <laughs> Which, which I described as a movie about Nazi Jeremiah Johnson. Yes. Uh, it is, a movie that it is, is actually ridiculous. about... It is very humanizing in its portrayal of its Nazis, uh, except that they are still uh, murderous monsters. Yeah. Uh, but they are also smart and resourceful. And, uh, yeah. And in that regard, it's it's kind of interesting to because it's not just dehumanizing of the German enemy; they are shown as real. Right. People. I mean, it's not like a, it's not like a Disney propaganda thing right. or something like one of those things where it's like, well, these these are just, here's just these monsters. I mean, it, it is, is weird that way. It is also a portrayal of that forever uh, hypocrisy of othering people, where they are bad because of these things, uh, even though they are right. actually good because of same. Like, you know, it's like Schroeder's immigrant coming to steal your job, even though they're all lazy uh, and won't, right, won't right. ever get off their asses. Uh, you know, this this is the same way they are. The Germans are idiots and will easily beat them, but also they're smart and resourceful and can survive for months on end wandering around Canada, murdering people left and right. <laughs> yeah, at the drop of a hat. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very weird. Yeah. Uh but yeah, anyway, the 49th parallel from 1941. Next week, uh, we will be talking about When a Woman Ascends the Stairs, a 1960 Japanese drama directed by Mikio Narusa. Uh, so we look forward to that. It is a, uh, I liked it much better than this film. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's fair, right? <laughs> Pretty easy yeah, to do. No. One of these is a much better film than the other. As it turns out. Uh, From beginning to end, yeah. yeah. We look forward to that. So thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Lee Adam Blast. With me, as always, John Patrick Oratory Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.